Welcome to Lobster Brain, the podcast that shows you that you can rewire your brain through neuroplasticity. We know about that from studying lobsters. When lobsters fight, their brains change. So both winner and loser can cope with their change in status. As humans, our brains can be rewired too. But unlike lobsters, if we lose, we can still win again in the future. In this podcast, you'll hear from highly successful people, or as we'll be calling them, top lobsters, to discover that with the right mindset, you can bounce back from tough times to be more resilient and win again. I'm Lisa Morton. And I'm Danny Donerkey. On this episode of Lobster Brain, you're going to hear from Tim Howard. Tim is a former US national team, Manchester United and Everton goalkeeper. And he's currently a pundit for NBC in the States. He's also a great friend of Danny's from their time working together at Everton. Tim has Tourette's syndrome. As a young boy, he gained freedom from that through sport. And that was just one of the hurdles he overcame to reach his status as top lobster. Lisa, I was really excited to get Tim on the podcast. He's quite a guy, as our listeners will find out. And when he was, I was working with him at Everton, he ended a 280 straight game streak of playing with a broken back. And he was desperately trying to play on that day. And I think that just tells you a little bit about the determination and perseverance that he's got as a guy. Yeah, I mean, what a story that is. I didn't even know that. And obviously comes across as he's such a, a human human in a way and such a deep thinker, incredibly intelligent. I got so much from him and I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Hey, Tim. Uh, thanks so much for coming on with us uh, to Lobster Brain. It's an honour uh, to have you here. As you know, I've worked with many, many footballers over my life. Um, it's been the bane of my life. Um, but what people don't really see behind the scenes is kind of the human part of the footballer. And people probably don't know that uh, one day at Goodison, uh, like you trained every day of your life, you played every day of your life. Mm. And one day at Goodison, um, you were struggling with pain in your back. And uh, we, we did a fitness test on the pitch and you were doing everything you could to play. You were desperate to play. And um, it turned out that you couldn't quite make it, which was a huge shock for everyone. But what happened was you then went for a scan and I think you had three fractures in your spine. So, um, you know, it's an honor to have you here, um, somebody with that kind of character and persistence. And uh, with that, Lisa has been reading your book and she I think she knows more about you than I know. <laughs> and I said, like, I've known you for so long, but she knows everything. So she's going to ask you the first question. <laughs> well, hi, Tim. I, I do love your book. It's amazing. And thank you. Um, I got so much out of it. Um, it's called The Keeper, A Life of Saving Goals and Achieving Them. So first of all, I just wanted to know what you see as your biggest mm -hmm. achievement. Well, thank you, Danny and Lisa, for having me. Um, it is an honor on, on my end. Danny and I have been uh, friends for longer than I can count, and he is—he's uh, been a mentor and a close friend and a confidant uh, and, and a gentleman I, I truly love. And so, this is an honor for me. When you asked me about my achievements, the story Danny told was uh, true. It was crazy. I. Uh, you know, having spent so long with uh, Danny in my corner as our physio at Everton, he—I tell people all the time now, <clears throat> there, you know, option, 
option A was not to play and option A was never an option for me. And Danny knows that. And it was, um, <clears throat> what do you have in the bag? How much time do we have to get me to the game? Um, I was always going to play. And I think the day that, uh, we had a fitness test, um, on the, on the pitch and I couldn't play, it broke a streak of 280 some something games that I had played. And I think when you asked me the question, um, that for me was the always the most important that consistency being there every every single moment for my teammates uh for my manager i always say and it's true uh you know david moyes picked me every single game i was available and i can assure you i didn't necessarily deserve to be picked but he did um on certain occasions and that consistency throughout my career is something that i hold dear the amount of games i played um the amount of the amount of back-to-back games and not missing games I, that was important to me and and being a great teammate was uh that that was the measure of being a good teammate showing up and um i often say you know, that that you're not going to find a better teammate than me and that sounds arrogant but i don't mean it that way i, I would do anything for uh my guys for the team it, I, inside the the lines and outside mm-hmm. Tim, why do you think that David Moyes picked you at, at times when you didn't deserve to be picked on performance? Uh, David Moyes is, as you know, huge into trust, uh, and he he wants to he wants to have uh, he doesn't always get eleven, but he wants to name eleven players that he can trust. Sometimes they're the best players, sometimes they're the most trustworthy, and uh, he, he knew I, again he knew I would show up, and and at least I had performances in the bag in in moments when I wasn't necessarily incredibly high on confidence that he knew I could produce a performance and so he and so he always picked me yeah it's interesting Tim that you mentioned confidence because I was working with a young player today and he was talking about um in his career how he's gone from kind of loving the game and loving playing and being joyful about playing and then when the pressure gets higher and higher uh, you know, it's a trade-off and it's really difficult. So what um, what was your experience of pressure and how did you cope with it? Gosh, I, you know, one of the reasons I was excited to come on this, this podcast is because <clears throat> so many of the things that you all talk about, I firmly believe and I, 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 I tell my daughter, I tell young players and anybody who will listen, there's this myth out there, Danny, you know it, but there's this myth out there that that these athletes are soccer players, footballers are, are superhuman. I, I can assure people, youth and fame and money is a horrendous, horrendous concoction. Not many people make it out of that. And the fear for me, you know, I read Roy Keane's books, a, a man I, I admire tremendously. And he said that the, all winning does is postpone the, the fear of losing for another day or two. Mm-hmm. You know, if you beat Chelsea on Saturday, great. You feel good on su- Sunday and Monday. But that fear kicks in again on having to play Arsenal the following weekend. And I often say I, I, every weekend I, 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 had to go to a, I had to go to a dark place. I had to figure out a way to enjoy the pressure because the pressure is so mounting and it's so debilitating. And the pressure on top of your chest um, is so difficult to manage. And when I look at confidence this is a key for me this is a turning point i only learned it late in my career because i was able to verbalize it self-confidence and self-belief are two different things um most people would say they're they're the exact same and what i've learned is they're different self-confidence ebbs and flows with performances and wins and saves and scoring goals and you feel good about yourself so you're going to be confident 
if you lose, and in my case, you concede five goals, you're going to be low on confidence. That's that's normal. That's how the game works. Self belief is the is the thing that you put in a box and you lock it and you throw away the key and no one can ever take it away from you. And that self belief is, yes, we lost. Uh, yes, I haven't kept a clean sheet in three games, but I believe in my ability to do it the next game and to go out. And sometimes you're tricking yourself. That's what self belief is. Sometimes you're just saying. I can do it, even though recent history says I can't, I still believe I can. So there's a difference in, for me, self-belief and self-confidence. Your self-belief can never, ever waver. Mm. But can you teach that, do you think? I mean, obviously, you were seen as a leader at Everton. Did you? How did you encourage mm. that in teammates? Because not everybody feels the same way. It's interesting when you ask that question. I, I don't. I think it can be learned, but ultimately the light bulb has to go off. Um, Without naming names, Danny will know exactly who I'm talking about. We had a player at Everton who, he was just a monster. He was a beast. We loved him. And I think he was a little bit afraid to perform at times. And the entire dressing room believed so much in him, he more so than he believed in himself. And so there was a collective of the senior players that when we knew he was going to get picked and named in the starting 11, we were on him. And we were saying, you got this today. You're going you're gonna to be a beast. And, and, and continuing to try and pump him up because he didn't have that level of self-belief in him in himself um so can it be learned maybe maybe i think it has to be over a long period of time mm. but on that in terms of kind of mentoring and i know that in your book you talk so much about the people that you've had around you and we can't all make that journey necessarily on our own so how important is it to have those mentors around you that can do what you did to your colleague then in the moments when, you know, that person didn't feel that self-belief? We oftentimes choose the wrong people. Uh, we, we choose hangers on. Um, we choose people who are going to tell us we're great. Um, you know, we, I play with a load of guys who they had entourages. They had, you know, they come from a foreign country. They buy a house in, in Liverpool or Cheshire, and then it's filled literally with not their family, but like their friends and, and people they meet at the nightclub. And I and I it blew my mind because I thought I wouldn't be able to sleep at night because I, I I wouldn't trust those people. But you either bring in people who you trust, a few people, bring in who you trust, who will tell you you've done right, you've done wrong. Danny and I got a guy who I said I love. We've had arguments and disagreements. They haven't been heated, they because there's respect, but we talk about these things. And I always kept my circle really small um, with people who just I knew had my back no matter what. And oftentimes, sadly, we see footballers surround themselves with people who will just tell them they're great because the papers aren't going to tell them they're great. The fans are going to boo them. But I tell you what, if you have a guy in your circle who you can take to the nightclub and buy bottles of alcohol for or you can take to Selfridges and Harvey Nichols and buy him the latest gear – if you play like crap, he's going to say, you're awesome, man. You know, you're great. And so that's the kind of that's the kind of people um, that footballers oftentimes surround themselves with. And it's it's dangerous. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. There's a, there's a few players that I've spoken to who who are in their careers and they're earning amazing money. Uh, they're playing mm. at the highest level. And from the outside, it looks like they've got the perfect life. But mm -hmm. what you're talking about in terms of like that fear, um, it, it can be mm. totally consuming. Um, but they feel trapped in the in the life in that in that life yeah. because of the money and everything, yeah. and then they feel guilt about not enjoying yeah. this life that's supposed to be perfect. <laughs> what what would you say to those players? 
Well, I, I think what you're what you're explaining is incredibly accurate. We 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 all grow up, partic- not so much in America, even though it's it's growing. If 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 you if you grow up in in England, that's all your uh, your mom and dad support a certain team, your grandparents support a certain team. From the moment you kick a ball, you we all dream of this. And then you know, I I I I, I saw it with uh, some Evertonians. These kids, seventeen years old, they come through, they sign a contract. It's huge for their families, and 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 they end up having this sense of the pressure because the pressure to perform. Their family are all Evertonians, so they got to go out there and they have to do it, and 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 the pressure gets more and more and more, and it's so incredibly hard uh, to deal with because ultimately we do we want to be like we want to be footballers, we want to love it, we love the money, we love the fame, we think, and so you want to do it, but there's everyone has a devil and an angel on their shoulder. And the angel is, we you've dreamt of this as a kid. You want to be great, and the devil is, this is pressure and it scares me. And and, and as Danny said, I don't have an outlet. I'm 17. No one's given me building blocks to be mature or to express myself. <clears throat> I was thrown straight in at the deep end. Handle this. By the way, you're 17 and you gave away a penalty, and now every paper in the nation is is ripping you to shreds. You're 17. You're just a boy, and you don't have the ability to handle that. So what happens is you shut off. I shut off for many years. I'm learning how to unravel that now. I had to, in order to perform, I had to shut off from the criticism. I had to shut people out because everybody became an enemy. Everybody became an enemy. I didn't want to hear negative talk. And if I didn't trust you wholly, then I had no time for you. And that actually helped me in my career. And then I stopped playing and I become human again and I have to <laughs> interact with people. And that's not such a good thing. And so, yes, the mounting pressure for these young footballers is so consuming um and i and i'm glad that we're now entering a realm in you know 2020 21 22 where mental health is a a big deal mental health is something that we should share and we should talk about because you know for the entirety of my career it was it was taboo you don't you know you don't talk about it because if you talk about well you know what you're not mentally prepared and how can you handle 90 minutes? I'm, I'm giving you responsibility. I can't put you on the field to perform because you can't handle the pressure. That's how it was seen. And so I'm really glad that because there's so many special footballers out there and they're, they're, they're human and they deal with this and they should have the ability to speak on it and as well perform, not, mm-hmm. not have it, you know, a mark against them. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I mean, um, in terms of the pressure we see from young children, some of the foundations, the work that we do, they, they, the whole community is riding on the back of that that young person's success. And yeah. in your book, you mentioned a, a point in your career where you just, I think you told your mum, you admitted to your mum that you didn't love soccer at that time. That must have been yeah. a very terrifying yeah. and lonely moment in your life and possibly shrouded with some shame because the thing that you're defined by that Mm. everyone's expectation of you is to be uh, fantastic at you're questioning so Mm. how was that and how did you kind of find that love again yeah that moment you talk about i remember i remember the color of the car i was driving i remember the road i was driving on going to my uh house in wilmslow uh my mom sitting in the passenger seat i remember her asking it to me and i remember the i remember vividly you know, I almost scoffed at the question. She, you know, this is, I'm her, I'm her youngest son. And she took me to soccer when I was six years old. Of course I love it. Right. And she asked me, cause I was probably complaining at the time. Uh, do you, you know, do you still love the game? And I, I, I scoffed at the question. I thought, do I love the game? I, I absolutely loathe it. I hate it. It, it. The feeling that it gives me the anxiety, the pressure, 
I, I genuinely did not love the game unequivocally. Mm-hmm. I did not love it. Um, it was survival of the fittest. It was, it was earning a living. It was a job. Um, uh, you know, I think as, as I, as I began to find my family at Everton, as I began to, you know, star for the national team have, I, I started to fall in love with, with competition. And I think that's where I found, <clears throat> that's where I found my love again, that I, I was able to, I, I love to compete. I didn't love to lose, but I love to compete. And I know that sometimes when you compete, you're going to lose and you're vulnerable, but I loved it. I loved, um, you know, Dan and I always talked about, particularly with injuries, the, the, the adrenaline was that was the adrenaline was that drug that, that would cost a trillion dollars if you could bottle it and sell it. It, it was so, it was so real. So when you uh, when you're at United, Tim, you you came from America, and then you go into yeah. like the biggest club in the world, uh, the yeah. goalkeeper, which is there's more pressure on the goalkeeper than any other position, yeah. uh, and it's quite isolated from the team in a lot of ways as well. Yeah. How how was this um, the self belief that you speak about that's locked away? How was that impacted, and and how did it impact your self confidence? There was this moment where. Obviously, United was hard. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared for what was thrown on my plate. But I was never going to say no to that. But I, you know, I was. I had to learn. I was young. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't ever going to be easy. But I, I think that where my where my self belief and things things went really well at United, as you know, the first year, and then they completely tanked. Um, and I think my self belief was just that I, I knew I. I knew I could make it. I knew I was good enough. There was just a, there was enough of a glimmer of some of the things I did at United to make me think like I'm a Premier League goalkeeper. It might not be here, but I'm a Premier League goalkeeper. I know it. I know it in my bones. And so that that was kind of for me the one little piece I held on to. And I think had I not had that first season, that would have been to answer your question a lot more difficult for me to say, oh, I, I can do this because there wouldn't have been a lot of. There wouldn't have been a lot of hope to 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 cling to, but I had I had such a good first season um, that it was like okay, I don't know where I belong at which club, but I do know I belong in the Premier League, and so that was kind of like, and and, and again as a twenty three year old, I was I was arrogant and I was brash, and you couldn't tell me no, and so there was that helped. You know, we talk about how that's a negative <laughs> factor. That helped. That helped me not crumble. That helped me go. Well, I'm not just going to go back to America where it was comfy. I'm going to make it. Um, and there was probably not a lot, you know, not a lot of people who were like, yeah, this guy, don't listen to him, but I believed it myself. Um, so again, you know, we, we talk about the ebb and flow of arrogance and confidence and self-belief, and there are some huge downfall steps, but, but there are positives. And that was one of the positives. But when you were sitting in your car, when you landed at Manchester airport on a, and it was throwing it down and there was that gray sky you keep going on about, and it's not true. We do have some beautiful weather in Manchester. I think it's best in Liverpool, to it's be honest. True. It is when it goes to Liverpool. I'm saying as a man. Yeah, yeah. But there's a moment in the book where you say, you know, you picked your new wife up and you go into the new team and you were driving to what, you know, is a beautiful house in Wilmslow in a great car. That overriding sense of... Um, fear or um, being out of your comfort zone in a way that you didn't feel that you had the toolkit to be um, at United in this rainy city with a new wife. So even for the outward arrogance, I suppose, that's how you were feeling, that fear at that point, because it was such a transformation of your life. It's such a transition. Yeah, it was. And I think that 
it's really difficult. And, I, and I've seen, I, I, I've lived the downfalls and, I, and, I, and I've seen with other teammates. I, for me, it's really difficult to try, to try and be the greatest player of your generation, greatest goalkeeper in the Premier League. Great, and you could, this could be for any player, by the way. It, it's really difficult to be the greatest or, or push yourself to be the greatest and have hobbies and have a have a have a really working relationship or marriage i found it incredibly difficult because my my singular focus was one being great and two defending myself from the demons that were coming through criticism and and bad performances and yeah it, it it's you know if i if i had to do it all over again i i, I laugh with danny but like knowing what i know I, I think I'd be scared to death. I don't know if I'd want to do it all over again. I love all the things, the greatness that it brought, but it's so daunting. And I think um, when I when I look back on it, that's what it's it's very difficult. I think it's very very difficult to, you know, I miss weddings and funerals and anniversaries. I, you know, you you're so committed to this thing. Um, I actually joked with a friend the other day. Uh, you know, we, we were talking about like PTO, paid time off in America, and it's like you, you know, I don't feel great today. I can't just say to the manager, like, hey, can you leave me out? Because, like, things aren't going well in my personal life. or not, You know, it's just, it's just such a strange uh, job, mm. occupation. And so, yeah, it's all consuming. Mm. I think it's amazing that you can speak out now about your anxiety and how it was for you to be a player. Mm. And I, I like the fact that you mentioned that, you know, mental health is more on the radar of people now. Mm. But I still think, you know, there's not many players who are speaking about it, current players, openly. And mm. I completely get that because it still feels like there's a stigma. And yeah. I, I understand it because if, if I speak openly about my mental health issues, then mm. it might mean that the manager doesn't pick me or I don't get Correct. signed or, Correct. you know. So I think it's a difficult subject. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I look... <clears throat> I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. As much as we'd love to say it's it's at the forefront and we are making strides, which which we are, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you know better than I do. You know, the manager, the players are under such pressure. The managers are under such pressure. I, I still think there's there's a world we live in where the manager is probably going to be compassionate to your mental health. Doesn't mean he's going to pick you. Mm -hmm. He's probably going to say, hey, absolutely, you should you should make sure you. Get yourself sorted. You should definitely make sure you speak to the 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 team so and so. Doesn't mean I'm going to pick you against Chelsea because I need somebody who's gonna who I who I know I can trust because my job's on the line and, and we know managers get hired and fired like you know the wind changes. So yeah, it, absolutely, it's still a there's still a long way to go. When you were struggling at Everton though, with that distance with your your children were in the states. Mm. wasn't David mm. Moyes was really understanding and allowed you to somehow get that a four week kind of sprint in yeah. the weekends I mean yeah. that's almost unheard of isn't it I mean that must have you know that's about values of the club and the person you did say you'd go into a burning house to, to rescue him as well if you needed to I so <laughs> I, I mean how did that you, you know where were you in your life at that point you just that yeah. was the overriding need to go and visit your kids yeah, uh, David Moyes, I, 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 like I said, I'd run through the gates of hell for him, and as would uh, quite a few other of my teammates. Um, that's how much we loved him, and he loved us. And yeah, you know, it was a difficult moment. I remember, I remember going through, and Dan remembers this: my divorce in 2010 or 11, and the first game of the season. I had the literally the 
biggest mistake of my career. I just had the ball and I dropped it. <laughs> Literally just dropped it. <laughs> and the guy put it in. We lost one nothing. And and I and I remember, and I tried to keep it inside. It had been you know the the divorce had been going on for a couple months and um, all throughout preseason. And and I remember, rightfully so, David Moyes laid into me heavily after the game because it was a mistake. And I just remember, I was like, I can't cope with this anymore. And I went into his office on Monday morning and I cried like a babe. And I just said, Gaffer, listen, this is what's going on. And he had no idea. And he was so compassionate. Um, and he just said, I wish I'd known. And, 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 and I said, it doesn't matter. The mistake is a mistake, but I just want you to know because I, it was important to me because at that moment, I respected him so much that I was like, look, if, if you think this is, uh, if, if this is hurting my performances and you need to leave me out, I want you to know that because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be disloyal to you. Um, yeah, and, and like he, he, he saved so much of my life and career because at that moment I had to, I, I couldn't, I couldn't not be away. You know, I, I had to go back every now and again, and he just, it was always on his 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 you know, dry erase board. It was always on his desk. You know, when can I find a couple of days to get Tim home because he needs it? And you know, without that, I, gosh, I think my career at everything would have been cut short because I, I that was what I needed to have, and he facilitated that. And I know, <laughs> I know, Danny pushed as well because i you know i would i would tell him i gotta go home i gotta get home so um it was you know i'm definitely very thankful for that the one yeah. thing in the book that totally stuck with me as a mum um was your mum being told by the specialist that you had a diagnosed Tourette syndrome which must be devastating mm-hmm. for your mum more so than you at the time um because of what we perceived that to mean um, yeah, but he said, in my experience, I gen- generally find there's a flip side. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, your mum and you could never have known what the gift of TS would give you. Yeah, and the gift that you're giving to other people by the work that you're doing to help young people navigate that. So, I'm interested to see, you know, how you view that that comment and and how mm. aware you were of that flip side and that gift that it gave you. Well, I wasn't aware at the time, but it's, it's funny, you know. I I often laugh because with my mom, it, it was you know her little, her baby boy was dealing with this and she didn't know what it was and like she did she did her own research prior to seeing the specialist. But I have to take people back to 1989 and what doing your own research meant. <laughs> there was no search engines. There was no internet. There was no cell phones. It meant going to this place <clears throat> called a library and had a lot of books in it. And uh, it, was, it wasn't a bookstore. You didn't buy the books. You went there and you sat down and you researched. And that's what she did. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And, and I think uh, as fearful as it is, because we always want to take away our, our child's woes, as fearful as she was, I think having a name, mm-hmm. having something that she could tangibly grasp onto. My mom is very much a, a doer and, and and a solver. And so at that moment, as, as fearful as she was, it was finally, there was no more unknown. This was very much known and we could attack it at, at, at such, uh, as, as such. And so, you know, we were thankful for that. Obviously, the flip side for me was that it, it, it kind of became my superpower in a way. You know, it, it allowed me... Um, to be hyper-focused on the pitch, you know, and, and TS dominated every facet of my life. When I got on the field, it became, it was a, it was the only place in my life that it, it became second on the priority list. Um, I would, I was able to tick into Twitch, but that wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing was 
what color jerseys were in front of me, um, talking to my teammates, hearing the fervor of the crowd, the smell of the fresh cut grass, all of that, all of my sensories were taken over by that. Um, and then knowing that I had to concentrate, knowing how important it was to concentrate, that I couldn't mess up. So I was uber focused on that. And then TS became the peripheral where when I'm sitting at home watching TV, having dinner, it's the, it's the focus. And so, um, that, it, that that's where football for me was was the ultimate gift because that was my sanctuary and and also the 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 social side if you will you know when i was younger it, it, tim's the kid who who ticks and twitches well when i was on the soccer field at a basketball court it was the kid who can score goals dunk the basketball i hmm. i became so much more to people than that and that made me feel special and how are you making young people feel special now with the work that you're doing with the academy well, yeah, you know, we have the Tim Howard Leadership Academy, and that's through uh, the New Jersey uh, Tourette Syndrome Association and Associated Disorders, and, and obviously the National Board, the Tourette Syndrome Association. Look, I've always said I, I have an easy job in terms of advocacy because I have a very um, visual disorder, and I get watched by millions of people every weekend, and here I am, you know, and, and I think I'm somewhat of a success, right? And so that that helps push the cause forward. But I I'll always be a champion. I'll always be a voice for the voiceless. And, you know, what we try and do is we try and help kids, uh, young young people with, with TS, uh, self-advocate because I can't always be there. Mom and dad can't always be there. Um, our loved ones, our brothers and sisters, uh, teachers can't always be there. We have to go out into the world and advocate for ourselves. And so trying to give them the, the tools that they need to do that. Uh, but also, again, until, you know, they find their voice or if they never find their voice, I'll, I'll always speak up and speak out and, and, and champion the cause. Did you ever get any kind of um, reactions or anything said against you w within football, Tim, about Tourette's? <clears throat> never, never by any teammates, which is always a crazy thing. Right? I had so <laughs> many teammates from so many different, so, so many different regions of the world and never from a teammate ever. Uh, and if I, if they did, it was, um, it was like in a joking manner, particularly with guys at Everton who became my brothers. And even they were almost afraid to like say, and I'm like, no, it actually feels good when you <laughs> joke with me about it because I love you and you love me and you're like my best friends. Um, I think from, from, from crowds, from fans, from, uh, media outlets, of course. Um, but again, I was in an arena where, and they shouldn't do it, by the way, and I don't think it's it's proper. Um, but I was in an arena where it was so glorious that I can prove them wrong. And they could sing songs about me uh, for 90 minutes about my Tourette syndrome. And you know what? We walk away 3-0 winners, and they got to go home, you know, pouting and sad and angry. And, you know, it made me feel, that makes me feel amazing. And so, um, you know, it was once told to me when they stopped talking about you is when you have to worry. So. You know, I always, uh, I always took it in, in, in good humour, I suppose. We were talking before, Tim. Danny and I, I was like, Tim's such a humanitarian. He's, the way he treats people, he feels, you know, you, I feel that you feel very deeply about how people should be treated. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. and that shows um, in the way that you speak about other people. And I was, mm. I came, I had an example of, it was a 2-1 defeat to Bolton Wanderers um, in the 2011-2012 season. Yeah. It made you the fourth, um, only the fourth goalkeeper ever to score a goal um, <laughs> in the Premier League since 1992, since it was in, it was inception. And I said, and you know, to Danny, and I said, and you know, Tim didn't even celebrate that because he felt uh, so much the goal, <laughs> and he said, no. <laughs> what did you say, Danny? <laughs> well, he didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Listen, listen. I, I, it, was, it was an amazing moment. Uh, you know, it was a dodgy back pass from Sylvan, which Sylvan Distant, which I was so accustomed to that I knew it was coming. But so I stuck my foot through it. Yeah, one I had never done it before. Two, it, it was it's very embarrassing for a goalkeeper. So that was that was the overriding theme. I'm going to stand by that. But but I will say, if I ever did it again, the shirt would come off and be twirling around my head. I, I, would, I would absolutely own it. Myself. Maybe I've changed a little bit. <laughs> I love it. And you also said, um, in terms of treating people. Um, in the right way that you responded really well when you went to Everton because the difference at Everton to United was United you were a number you were you were a shirt whereas as soon as you went to Everton I think um, was it the 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 coach the, the the goalkeeper coach said to you is this anything specific that you need and just being heard and 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 listened to in that way made all that difference to you from the from the first day you were there both my experiences Manchester United and Everton were special to me they taught me so many different things. I think at Everton, you know, there was, there was, uh, yeah, there was a more human side and that's okay. You know, I think uh, United have, have had their success for, for their own reasons. And so as Everton, and I think, um, when I got to Everton, there was just that, there was that family spirit. There was that, that, yeah, there was more of a, you know, I was coming from Manchester United, the mighty Manchester United. And so I was given a certain amount of respect to have collaborative conversations and that, that taught me a, a new side to the game that I hadn't seen up until that mm. point mm. I think a big part of that Tim as well was um, I think David Moyes had a big factor in that didn't he because as, as we spoke you know about family and he he was a type of leader that would want to engage in those conversations and he'd want to improve <laughs> all the time so I think he had a big impact on that he did, and you know, he—I've never—I don't think I've ever met anyone uh, before or since that. He just—he's—he's he, such a taskmaster, but he asked that of himself, and I learned that he—he he, he asked it of others around him, but he'll always do it himself, and he'll always—he'll never ask more of you than than he's willing to do, um, and that's the true definition of a leader for me. I did—I, it was amazing to sit in in, in meetings with him. Um, with the team and and just his talk he, you know he would he would look around the room because he he knew he was hard on this and he would look around the room and say i brought every single one of you here you know, i i i brought you here i spent my time and the club's money you know and, and my reputation to bring you here like so just because i'm upset with you doesn't mean i don't love you and i don't still trust you and I, and, I, and you know that's a life lesson that's not a football lesson that was like oh okay like you know when, when someone who you respect believes in you it makes you feel like you can conquer the world you know, and, and that, that he was very special to me and to, and to the rest of the group. The other thing we're interested in is how much of what we do to be successful is to prove ourselves to our parents. Um, mm -hmm. And we've noticed there's a lot of quite complicated relationship situation with a lot of successful people and the dads. And I'm very interested in that subject personally. Um, so how, yeah, how important was that for you? And I know your mum, she took you to a coaching session, didn't she? And it was a one-off and Tim, was it Tim yeah. thought you were there forever? Yeah. Yeah. And that $25 she spent on that first coaching session, which probably changed your life. Yeah. How conscious of you are of the opportunity that your mum in particular, maybe at that time, you know, created mm. for you? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting how, 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 a relationship, particularly when you look at athletes in trying to, to prove our parents right or wrong or trying to gain their 
love and affection. It, it, it's so complicated, you know, particularly with with fathers. I always it always seems like the fathers are the are the complicated ones, and and whether it's with a son or a daughter. Um, and yeah, it, you know, my mom was my mom was everything, and she 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 took me to that session to hopefully help me grow, help me find some, you know, find a path. And uh, yeah, it was, you know, when I think about that, that was the inception of, of a wonderful relationship with Tim Mulqueen, but also, another, again, a mentorship, someone who believed in me, someone who continued to give me confidence and push me and push me in ways that I didn't always like, um, uh, but but doing it for all the right reasons. And so, yeah, I'm thankful. I'm thankful she took me there and, 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 and that Tim Mulqueen ended up... Uh, thinking I was pretty okay to, to certainly invest in. Mm. And then what about your dad then? Was was How did your relationship with your dad interact with your career and wanting to be successful? Well, again, it's interesting because he, you know, he was, my parents got divorced when I was three. Uh, you know, we saw him every other weekend. He was the long haul truck driver. So he was on the road for, you know, long periods. And, you know, even, even then when you have a, a somewhat fractured relationship with your dad, you're still... You know, when, when he turns up on the, you know, when you don't expect him to be there and you're playing a game, you know, you soccer game, you look over and there he is in his, in his uh, you know, boots and trucker hat, you know, just coming from work. It, again, it makes you feel 10 feet tall. Uh, it doesn't matter what the relationship is. It's like, you know, you're trying to gain that approval. You're trying to show him how great you are. And so, um, yeah, it was even in moments that with, my national team career where uh, you know, I, I, I want to fly him out or fly him to a world cup because mm. I, you know, I was proud of what I achieved and I wanted him to be proud of that too. So yeah, oftentimes very complex mm. uh, and layered, but you know, ultimately we want to seek the approval of our father. I think that's always the case. Yeah. <laughs> if I was to ask uh, Jacob and Ali, what, what kind of father are you? What would they say? <laughs> I don't know. I think that, I think that, you know, probably say a similar thing, you know, it, my, my time away from them, you know, certainly creates those boundaries, um, but incredible amounts of love, definitely seeking uh, approval, you know, particularly with Allie and, and being a soccer player, you know, and then obviously Jacob creating his own path and Lane, which he also wants to prove the easy thing is for, you know, a footballer's kid to go play a sport, you know, uh, and Jacob is into the arts and into modeling and wants to carve his own path. I think in spite of the fact that I was an athlete. And so, um, you know, him, him seeking that approval as well, that he can do it on his own. So there's, there's two, there, there's two different sides to that one, but, um, but I see it very differently. You talked earlier about um, being careful that you're not surrounded by the wrong people as you get that success. Mm. So what kind of values or guidance are you giving them around that? Well, I think they are surrounded by, I think they are surrounded by really good people. Um, you know, I think as a parent, you're always trying to make sure there's no, <laughs> you know, not, no, no bad, no bad apples around. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's, you learn through that as well. Um, you know, I think it's important. I think it's important as a parent that you let your children, um, have a little bit of space to make their own decisions, make their own mistakes, but still there to pick them up. And, and, and that's important because that's how they learn. Um, but yeah, you know, making sure that they understand. And today's a, a whole different world though, right? Like the social media aspect of things and trying to, trying to, trying to give them guidance there. I think that's the biggest thing for me uh, is, is like uh, helping them understand that their, their worth isn't in social media 
and yet every kid they're surrounded feels that their worth isn't in social media, right? <laughs> and so you're you're trying to balance that and help them understand that, you know, enjoy it, use it for what it's worth, but also um, that you, you have so much more self-worth. But but again, it is. It's it's keeping keeping a close-knit group. It's it's making sure that friends aren't scoundrels and if they are that you're pointing that out to them you know and that and and, and that's okay to to have those t- tough conversations so tim your new career now um your tv superstar what is your like you your your main goal was to become the, the greatest goal american goalkeeper ever mm. what mm. what is your goal now yeah it's, it's similar uh dan i want to i want to be and not in an arrogant way i i, I don't want to be like a superstar, but I want to be great. I want to be great at, you know, I want to be, you know, in, in terms of soccer, uh, again, well, whether I achieve it or not, I, I want to be known as, uh, I want to be a household name in, in the soccer uh, realm, you know, in, in terms of television. And I want to I'll get some things wrong and I'll, and I'll fail and I'll, I have amazing direction and amazing producers at NBC that, that don't allow us to fail, but making sure that, um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I work as hard, uh, at the television side and the research side as I did actually physically tr- training on the pitch. And I know that in my life that's worked. Right. And so that's mm-hmm. my goal. I know that if I want to be great at, at, um, if I want to be great in television, I want to be renowned and I, and, and, and get accolades, which isn't always the most important thing. I, I know that it's dedication and hard work. I've done that. I've done that in my career. And, and that's been, I've, I have positive reinforcements to tell me if you want to be great at something, dial in, be singularly focused, and work incredibly hard so I, I have that blueprint in the epilogue of your book I think you're going out to the tunnel for the beginning of the 2014 yeah. season and you're yeah. you've got that moment where you're thinking about life beyond football and um mm-hmm. it feels like you're, you're thinking a lot about flipping burgers in the backyard with your friends and taking ease and have that balance yeah. and as we found also yeah. with successful people who are looking for that next iteration of their lives doesn't include much flipping burgers we go on to do something that is all they're so as driven in a you know an associated sector or a different career so it's interesting to see your reflections on that epilogue in that book and how you how it's panned out for you it's a lie it's a lie (laughs) you know my girlfriend and i talk about it all the time it's like what, what like I, I can't, I can't stop. I can't, you know, like it's, it's who we are. It's uh, I'm driven and, and, and being driven and having a purpose gives me, it, it, it gives me uh, excitement. It, it, it wakes me up every morning. And so it's like, yeah, yeah that's a lie. This whole, <laughs> this whole kicking your feet up, doing nothing because you're tired of working hard. It's a lie. I tried to tell myself a bunch, but it doesn't work. <laughs> Interesting. Tony Bell, you said the same. He said, I just wanted balance. And Danny said, there's no such thing for him. <laughs> No such thing. I'm just waiting for his comeback because I, you know, it's impossible to, to, it's impossible to sit around and do nothing. We're not wired that way, right? We, you can't have, you can't have a, a lifetime or a career of success and then think, yeah, I'm just going to sail off in the sunset. You, 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 we're not hardwired that way. So thankfully I found, <laughs> I found what, I, what I'm looking for. Tim, well, um, it's been amazing uh, to spend this time with you. Um, I know like you know how much I admire you and people don't always get to say these things but you know you, you've been an amazing friend and a, a lifelong friend and th- and as we spoke about earlier it's the beauty of football that, that brings those relationships um, but you're a really special guy 
And um, I think the way you spoke today is really going to help a lot of young players and, and young people in, in all walks of life. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. This was uh, an honor and a pleasure. Uh, I love you, brother. And this was, uh, I look forward to hearing it back because uh, we had some pretty, pretty hard topics. So thank you. Thank you, Tim. It was so great to talk to Tim and I just wanted to pick up on that point about the difference between self-confidence and self-belief. When Tim talks about the second season at United when that season wasn't going well for him, that he really dug into that self-belief because he said that he knew he was a great goalkeeper because obviously, you know, he's had the discipline, he's trained, he's focused and that even though that was not working for him at that time, he knew that he deserved to be a Premier League goalkeeper. So I think that to have that self-belief means that you can ride those storms out and not give up. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, Lisa, because obviously that season he, he'd failed really at United. And yeah, he spoke about the ebbs and flows of confidence that come when you're winning or doing well or scoring goals. And that self-belief that's locked away inside that nobody can touch. And I think any athlete, any business person who achieves anything great has to have that self-belief because in life, you know, things happen to us where that the ebbs and flows of the confidence are, are going to be there. I also thought it was really great advice for anybody that, you know, if you're at the top of your game in, in whatever it is you do, you can at times be surrounded by people who want to get some of that glow or they want to, you know, certainly as a highly paid sports person, you're going to have people who he says, you know, they'll, if you take them to Selfridges or Harvey Nichols, or, you know, buy them a few bits and bobs, they're going to tell you what you need to hear. So how important it is to have, here's a small circle of people and about making sure that you trust the people that are around you. And that's so true. I mean, I think most of our listeners will be able to relate to having had certain people in their circle there have been red flags, but you've just chose to ignore them. So it's about making sure that your circle is small and that you trust them. Yeah. And I think uh, it's quite well known now, isn't it, that we become the people that we spend the most time with. And yeah, it's really important that we choose the people who are going to make us become who we want to become. Um, it, it's it's a huge, huge thing in life. Very much so. And I also think, again, we've spoken to a lot of successful people and they talk about, you know, looking forward to retirement, whether that's in business or whether it's in sport or, but, you know, they don't really retire. You can't really retire. And Tim talks about the fact that, you know, he successfully transitioned from being an athlete, a goalkeeper to having a very successful career in media, but he's applying the same gusto and the same drive and purpose around his career now that he did when he was on the, uh, on the pitch. And yeah, uh, there's so many lessons that Tim spoke about that one of the things that stuck with me was the fact that he said, you know, in that game for Everton where he made the biggest mistake of his career, he literally dropped the ball and gave the other team a goal. And at the time, nobody knew that he was going through a divorce. And he went in on the Monday and spoke to David Moyes and explained what was going on. But it's just another example of, you know, the people you only see the, the tip of the iceberg and there's so much going on underneath it. And I feel like it's really, it's a great thing that we're speaking to all of these people and it's a similar message coming out because everybody can relate to it. Yeah. And I think we have to mention 
Tim's handling of having Tourette syndrome throughout his life. And the early on when he was get, was given his diagnosis as a young person, that the consultant has said, I always see a flip side. And ironically, you know, the gift that he was given with Tourette's that he says that in a way, you know, that it's kind of defined him, it's not held him back in any way. And the escape that he's found in whatever he's choosing to do that he loves so much is an escape from having that those challenges. Yeah, and he said, didn't he, that when he was a young boy, the only place where he wasn't the kid with Tourette's was on the football field or on the basketball court. Mm -hmm. And obviously he channeled his energies and he used his focus in those areas and that's how he became great. And I think one of the great lessons that I learned from Tim, you know, from working with him and also in the podcast is that he used that and he practiced and he, he wanted to really hone his skills and get and become really great at whatever he's doing. And as you said, he's applying that in the world of media and he's doing extremely well. Yeah, an incredibly impressive and uh, kind human being. And I'm really glad that I met him. Thanks, Donnie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lobster Brain. Lobster Brain will be back on the 16th of February. In the meantime, please remember to rate, review and follow. And that way more people will get to hear about Lobster Brain and the next episode will drop into your feed as soon as it's ready. Mm-hmm.